It is time for Fort Wayne. Your, your sports, your, your station. weekend we have ahead of us we shoot right into it with the sports rush your daily local sports fix four to six i am brett rump adam lundy the producer we are here until 6 15 today taking up the void between big 10 tournament sessions course early session featured the purdue boilermakers with their win over the rutgers scarlet knights maybe not even a win maybe more appropriately we could say they survived the Scarlet Knights. Indiana takes on Maryland coming up in the nightcap later this evening. And we've got all your coverage of all the Big Ten tournament games live from Chicago, courtesy of Comcast, Comcast, uh, Compass Media Networks. And we'll be rejoining the broadcast 615. So we're here until then. Uh, appreciate you hanging on and waiting for us to arrive today and waiting for the finish of the Ohio State Buckeyes victory over the Michigan State Spartans. How about those Buckeyes? Three in a row, three in three days. And what a break for the Purdue Boilermakers because tomorrow you're going to have the Ohio State Buckeyes playing their fourth game in four days. The Yeah, the number 13 seed Ohio State Buckeyes. you got to think that eventually the uh, the fatigue is going to catch up with them. And well, yeah, I mean, they were already out without their leading scorer today after he bumped knees in the uh, previous game. And, uh, of course, you know, Ohio State-Purdue had a heck of a game. Uh, Purdue had to count on a Fletcher-Lawyer triple at yeah. the buzzer to win in Columbus. But I just, I kind of feel like Purdue's going to dominate this game, just physically inside with first Gillis and, uh, and Edie, that there's too much Purdue in the interior and so I think the Boilermakers will finally put an end to this magical run for Ohio State, which, you know, the Buckeyes are in a position where it's win or end the season because they're a sub-500 team. The only chance they've got to extend their season is to win this tournament. And I always have said and said earlier this week that there's usually a team that makes a surprise run in the Big Ten tournament that is a desperate basketball team. Usually that's a team that's on the bubble because the teams that are desperate to win the tournament just to get in are generally not in a position to win the tournament. But you've got to start looking at Ohio State and say, can they do it? Can they go five games, five days, win the thing? And then the, the biggest nightmare would be, that you'd seed Ohio State as a play-in, and they'd have to come right back and play on a Tuesday or Wednesday in Dayton, which would be like a home crowd for them. They'd get that boost. But I can't imagine you put them anywhere but the 12 line, right? I mean, if they don't have a winning record, you can't put them any higher than that play-in game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens coming up tomorrow as Purdue will take on Ohio State. Coming up later tonight, we've got Indiana 
against Maryland. We'll talk about both those games. Also on the show today, we're going to be talking to Scott Agnes from the Fieldhouse Files in just a few minutes. Uh, we'll get the latest on the Pacers. And um, I'm kind of curious at this point in the season, as we start to wind down and now we start to see the teams that are most likely going to fall into the lottery. And is there anybody that could possibly lay on that number one pick that could be offered enough assets as far as this year's first rounders, next year's first rounders. Is there anybody that would consider trading out of the number one pick and giving up Victor Wembanyama? I can't imagine. But then the other question is, what's the rest of this draft going to look like? How deep of a draft is it? If the Pacers end up in a position where they're not going to get Wembanyama, who could they get? And where would they have to be on the draft board to get them? Uh, we'll talk to Scott Agnes about that as we start to look ahead to the end of the season for the Pacers. Last night, they were forced into overtime by Houston. Game that the Pacers probably should have won in regulation. Had to overcome an injury to Benedict Matherin. And uh, we don't know that's going to keep him out perhaps some time, maybe the rest of the season. Yeah. Uh, a nasty-looking ankle uh, injury which I think they referred to it specifically as a sprain last night. But we'll get the latest on the injury to Benedict Matherin with Scott Agnes. But we've got him coming up at about 5.15, 5.20. And then Greg Rickstraw will also join us this hour, of course. We've got to talk high school basketball with Rake. I don't know. We'll come up with plenty of subjects to talk to Greg Rickstraw about. We're killing it. I feel like we're uh, probably the ideal in-between basketball show. Yes, yes. In fact, you know, it's almost like... You think that maybe there's a little bit of a of a of a letdown in between the excitement of Big Ten tournament basketball and then coming back tonight with more Big Ten tournament basketball. No, that's not the way we approach it whatsoever. We take it to a higher level. And in fact, when we return to Big Ten tournament basketball, there might be a little bit of disappointment that you have to go back and listen to Big Ten basketball. Because you know what you get when you go back to Big Ten basketball tonight? You get that highly anticipated matchup of Penn State Northwestern. Ooh, those Wildcats. Uh, boo, those those boo. number two Wildcats with Boo Booey. Boo Booey. Um, you know what else? Uh, can't can't mention Boo Booey without mentioning the Owls because the Owls continue to win. I tell you what, you don't want to face some of these mid-majors. The FAU Owls, Florida Atlantic out of where? Boca Raton, Florida. My adopted home. Uh, they won their, uh, is it their 30th win? They're 29 and three, but I don't know if that counts today's win. Um, now they did not play a lot of, a lot of big conference teams. I mean, their best wins all season long was the win at Florida in like their second game of the season. And, uh, and they won at North Texas. They were two and one in what's considered a quadrant games, according to Ken Palm. And then, uh, you know, a couple of other teams. Right now, Florida Atlantic is number 15 on the NCAA net rankings. Yeah, 30-3 and overall now. So that's their 30th win today. Wow. And then uh, they play in the championship of Conference USA tomorrow, where I know UAB got out to a big start. I don't know what the score is now, but UAB is taking on North Texas, and, and that championship will be played tomorrow. Right now it's uh, 58-48 UAB, so about six minutes left. So it looks like FAU-UAB will be the matchup for Conference USA. But another team you don't want to face, if you're a, you know, if you're a uh, 
Michigan State, for instance. You know, that's one thing about the seeding is you want to stay out of that five, maybe that four or five range because you get into a four or five seeding and you're going to get a pretty good mid-major team on the other side. And it could be an FAU, which I think they may end up being a 10 or 11 seed. Uh, you may end up with Oral Roberts, team that can just light up the scoreboard the way they can shoot threes. And they've got so many different guys that can score and can hit threes. Oral Roberts, uh, they didn't play a lot of biggies either because they play pay games at home. So they're able to bring a lot of decent mid-major schools into their building. And they don't have to go out and play those games where you walk away with a check. And so Oral Roberts, uh, I think their toughest game, they played Liberty. Uh, they got a win against Liberty, but the three teams that they did play, uh, actually four teams they did play that would be a quadrant, they've actually finished 0-4 against. So when they played the best of the best on the road, they ended up 0-4. St. Mary's, Houston, Utah State, New Mexico, and that's back when New Mexico was unbeaten at the time. So... They haven't exactly won the signature game, but they've taken care of business against all the Summit League competition and against all the mid-major competition. Another team that's dangerous is Charleston. Number 50 on the net rankings. They're 31-3. and three. Uh, They've beaten Vatek. They've beaten Kent State. They won at Townsend, but they are 0-1 when they play an A-quadrant team. But It'll be interesting. We've got the bracket challenge for you to fill out. And we've got the contest up and ready for you to get registered. Now, of course, you're going to say, wait a minute, how do I fill out a bracket? They haven't even put the bracket out. That's right. You can't fill the bracket out yet. But you get registered, so you get reminders to make your picks. Why do you want to get registered? Well, maybe I should give you 1,000 reasons to get signed up for the 1380 The Fan Bracket Challenge. Of course, it is presented by Coyote Creek uh, Restaurant, Bar and Grill. Uh, also presented by Sweet Spot Golf and sponsored by Edding Insurance. All those fine folks bringing you the Bracket Challenge 2023 with $1,000 up for grabs. Get signed up. Don't delay. Go right to our website now at 1380thefan.com. Uh, so Purdue took on Rutgers earlier today. David Jenkins Jr. ended up being the hero, and he's been kind of quiet, a very much a role player. thing about David Jenkins Jr. is he used to play at South Dakota State, so when the Mastodons played in the Summit League, we saw plenty of David Jenkins Jr., and this guy, uh, I mean, there was never a shot he didn't like. He would throw stuff up at the basket that sometimes would be considered garbage, and I know one of the things the Mastodons did to game plan against David Jenkins was put him in a crowd, he'll still force up a shot. You can get him to be inefficient because he's looking for his 20. And that's back when he was a freshman. And sometimes he took some ill-advised shots. Sometimes he took shots in traffic. Didn't necessarily have high efficiency, but he did have some gaudy numbers. He averaged 18, 19 points a game as a freshman for the Jackrabbits. But he's had a couple of different schools since because his coach, T.J. Otzelberger, he ended up getting the job at UNLV. David Jenkins went there with him. And now eventually, his final year of eligibility, he's picked up by Purdue, who at the time uh, had lost uh, their point guard. So they thought, we need a point guard. Got David Jenkins out of the transfer portal. And Matt Painter has changed the type of ball player that David Jenkins Jr. is. First of all, I, 
I love what Matt Painter does with his personnel. You know, for those that want to say he's not a good coach, you got to learn basketball. If you if, if you have an opinion that Matt Painter is not a good coach, you do not know basketball. Because if you watch in-game adjustments where he's changing his lineup, he's sticking with players that are performing well, he's matching up size versus size, he's downsizing when the other team downsizes, and he just knows how to do it. It's not like he goes into a game and says, this guy's getting 25 minutes, this guy's getting 20 minutes, this guy's my... My uh, second guy off the bench, he'll get 10 or 12. That's, I mean, that that's not a winning formula. And for Matt Painter, he showed what a winning formula looks like today because he pulled some key guys and didn't play them because they weren't playing well enough. And I love that. There's a standard that you have to play at. And if you don't play to that standard, you don't deserve minutes. And he'll take you right off the court. David Jenkins Jr. came in, gave the Boilermakers a spark, and as a result, he ended up staying in the game. And uh, David Jenkins Jr. finished with 12 points. Didn't, like, break records. But here's the efficiency part. Because we talked about how he was very inefficient when he played at South Dakota State. He would take, to get 12 points, he'd probably take 14, 15 shots. Today, 4 for 4 from the field, 3 for 3 from the three-point line. He had great shot selection, and when he got the shots, he buried them, and he hit some really big shots for Purdue today. And I don't know if Purdue wins without David Jenkins Jr. Because you got Bletcher Lawyer, who was over two from three. Brandon Newman, he was awful today. I mean, let's call it like it is. He had a terrible day. He was over four from the field, over two from three, split a pair of free throws, finished with one point. Fletcher Lawyer, four points, all of them coming at the free throw line. He was 0 for 5 from the field, 0 for 2 from beyond the arc. Braden Smith, 0 for 4 from distance. Now, a lot of this could be, hey, you know, they've got freshmen playing in the first Big Ten tournament, target on their back, maybe some extra nerves. But Purdue's got to shake that because they got to be better as they move forward, because there's going to be that same kind of pressure when they go out and play in the NCAA tournament and they're carrying a number one or two seed. Yeah. I think tomorrow decides if it is a one or a two seed because they can't change the seed on Sunday. So tomorrow, if Purdue loses, I think there'll be a two seed. If Purdue wins tomorrow, I think Purdue is very likely to end up as a number one seed. 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine, text line 46862. But, uh, you know, you saw guys like Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, Brandon Newman, who started the game, but yet didn't play a lot of the key crunch time minutes. Yeah, Lawyer only 19 minutes on the game. You had uh, Gillis, who performed really well today, 7 for 8 from the field, 2 for 3 from distance. He had 20 points, actually, to lead the Boilermakers in scoring. Zach Eady, 16 points and 11 rebounds. Uh, you know, Edie, I, I keep saying, I think he's tired because he used to physically just dominate. And even if you tried to double him, he was so big and strong and coaches would say, you can't stop him because he's so big and strong. He just goes over you, through you. And it's all of a sudden, it's like he doesn't even take the energy to try to attack double teams. He immediately is looking to pass it and kick it out. But the big problem for the Boilermakers is they cannot handle pressure. Once again, they yeah. just melt. And 
it looks like, you know, they've got a plan of execution to try to break the press. They just don't execute the plan of execution. <laughs> I mean, they throw the ball right to the and, – and a lot of times it's timing. You know, get the inbound. The guy has just a moment of indecision, and that's enough to, to keep a pass from being completed. And instead it's intercepted, as I go to a, bas- a football analogy. <laughs> and that happened a couple of times. And for the game, Purdue only turned it over 11 times, but it feels like they turned it over all 11 times against that full-court pressure because they made some big-time mistakes trying to break the press. And that's something that we've talked about with Purdue all season. And it looks like it's just going to be an Achilles heel that they've got to be able to get over. 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Um, so once again, get signed up for the Bracket Challenge. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Scott Agnes. Got Pacers basketball to discuss. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4-6. to six. Front Rub with our producer, Adam Lundy. A special edition Sports Rush sneaking in between sessions of the Big Ten Tournament. Of course, we'll get back to action coming up at 6.15. We turn it back over to Compass Media Networks for Big Ten quarterfinals tonight. Of course, if you missed it earlier, Purdue did get the win uh, over Rutgers. Kind of had to hold on after they made some turnovers against full court pressure. Um, it ended up being a uh, Purdue victory, 70 to 65. So they advance into tomorrow's semifinals. But we've got coverage of every Big Ten tournament game, and you can get it right here at 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Speaking of tournaments, our next guest, I know he covers the Indiana Pacers, but i got to ask him about my tournament question from yesterday. Joining us right now on our guest line, Scott Agnes. Good afternoon, Scott. Hello, Brad. Good to be on with you. Uh, always good to talk to you. I know you are the television voice of the IUPUI Jaguars. I'm not going to take advantage of you today and try to rub in that the Mastodons advanced in the tournament with a victory over the IUPUI Jaguars, uh, although that was a cheap mention. But I, I want to ask, here's... Here's a thought. As I'm watching all of these tournaments, and I don't know if you've ever been involved with a college basketball tournament where it's a one-site tournament, uh, and I think there's a special energy, there's a special vibe when you get all the teams, all the administrators, everybody together, one site, four or five days. Fans love it because they can see everybody play in the tournament. And yesterday, I was kind of going through... And trying to think, what could the Horizon League do to make this happen? And I'm like, here's what I came up with. On the Tuesday after the season ends, go ahead and have those 11, 6, 10, 7, 9, 8 games. Have those on campus. Get them out of the way on Tuesday. You're going to have three teams that don't make it to Indy. But then have a Friday quarterfinal day for the men. Four games. All the men's quarterfinals back-to-back throughout the day on Friday. Saturday, women's quarterfinals day. Men get a day off between the quarterfinals and the semis, and the men play the semis on Sunday evening. Women will play their semis Monday evening. Championships both take place on Tuesday. Do you think that's... I I like the idea of getting everybody together, but I also understand from a logistics standpoint, when you've got as many games in the Horizon League tournament as you do, you can't necessarily do the whole tournament there. What do you think about that idea, that thought, that proposal? Yeah, so first of all, I have been part of it in terms of the Horizon League. We used to go up to, at least to Detroit for one year. I remember staying there at the Marriott for what felt like four or five days. Um, and the games alternated there at Little Caesars Arena. But the challenge was the crowd. There just was not much of a crowd whatsoever. I'm, not, I'm talking less than 500 people from what I remember. For most of the women's games, 
and, and even a few of the men's games. So to me, that's what it comes down to. Can the cost of opening a building for something like that for five, six days outweigh the travel, uh, the cost of doing that and the travel cost for the additional teams? I like the fact that the Horizon League, uh, does have both the women's and men's play the semifinals and finals in the same city and they make it work over a couple day period. I just think right now it might be a little expensive to, to try to bring on a, even a couple more games and extend it out even further because um, the crowds have been fine, but I don't think anything noteworthy over at Indiana Farmers College. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I'm comparing it to the Summit League, and we had so much fun out there, and it was jam-packed sure. arenas, but of course it was jam-packed because 80% of the crowd was South Dakota State. But uh, and IUPUI, and no offense to IUPUI, they don't draw like that, so you don't have a built-in home crowd that you're growing off of. But I, I would love to be able to just spend a couple of days end of the season, and you know, for us broadcasters and for some of the SIDs, a lot of it is social, to be honest. Just a chance to get together, hang for a couple of days, go over to the arena when you want to see a game, and <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know just hang out. Um, let's talk Pacers basketball. Last night, Pacers get a win over Houston. It took them overtime, but Tyrese Halliburton, terrific as always. He kind of uh, was the star of the show. But but before we talk about Tyrese, we've got to talk about Ben Mather. And what's the latest word you're hearing on his injury? Yeah, so he's undergoing more tests today, as you would imagine, um, as they try to realize more what it is. To me, it, it was so reminiscent, Brad, of what Chris Duarte did the second week of the season where he badly stepped on someone's foot and rolled his ankle to the outside. It was a grade two sprain, and he was out for the next two weeks. And I could see something very similar being the case with, with Benedict as well. Um, it looks so eerily similar. Um, with all of that and, and to think there's only what like 16 games left in the season so maybe his season is even over it all just depends on the severity level which as of last night they knew it's going to uh, keep him out for some time but uh, the team does not put timelines very often on injuries and it was premature but he is not expected to play this weekend in Detroit and uh, the rest will hopefully get an update in the next couple of days between games and now we will talk about Tyrese Halliburton um, this guy is becoming a superstar and continues to show why the Pacers struggle so mightily when he's not in the lineup 19 assists last night special night for Halliburton Oh, 100%, yeah. But the, the, the real big-picture conversation is it shouldn't even been uh, a game last night, meaning they were up 18 early, second quarter, uh, third quarter, fourth quarter did not play well at all. They had more points in the overtime than they did in the fourth quarter, but Tyrese had more points than the Rockets in the overtime period by himself. So it was a special, memorable finish, final five minutes, but the fact that they even got to that point um, against a very bad Rockets team uh, was something of, of concern, something if I'm Rick Carlisle on the coaching staff, you're going over in film and, and using that touch points and teaching points, these, mo- these moments that can go with you moving forward into next season and such. Because, um, it just, I mean, giving up 82 paint points, <laughs> most of any opponent all season, that is alarming, Brett. They can't play defense. We know that by now. Nobody Correct. on the team can defend, and Miles Turner somewhat protects the rim, but nobody can stop penetration. Nobody can guard a scoring wing. Um, and, and that brings me really to my next question. Who is the core? We know the Pacers are on a, on a rebuild, 
But who would you count as core untouchables? Guys that they are definitely building around. And then who are guys that you think would be expendable if they have to upgrade the roster or make moves? Let's start with the core. Who who are the core players that the Pacers build this roster around? Yeah, Brett, I only believe it's Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin on a very elementary basic level. From there, you're willing to move on. You're willing to offload pieces to make a, a deal work, right? Like, to be clear, too, like Nimhard, I think, could be part of that core. But also, like, if you have to throw him in there to get that elite wing in a trade, you're not hesitating to do that. So it's Tyrese and Benedict to me. Wow. And uh, and how aggressive will the Pacers be in the offseason trying to build the roster? Maybe, I don't know, I want to say speed up the process, but knowing you've got Tyrese right now and you've got some money that you can can use if you uh, if you use it wisely. You've got some money you can use to build pieces around him. How aggressive are the Pacers going to be, do you think, when this season ends, trying to, to build now rather than build just for the future? I think it's probably somewhere in the middle ground there because you, you don't want to make the mistake of pouring out two or three big contracts and taking significant gambles. They're their draft picks are in a very good situation in terms of their future picks. They could have up to five this year. That's, for example, another reason beating the Rockets was so important, not because it was your 30th win of the season, but because if the Rockets end up as one of the worst teams in the league as they're trending towards doing so and have picked 31 or 32 in the second round, that would belong to the Pacers, for example, and give them even more flexibility. Imagine, Brett, if they had four picks in the top 31. Now, I don't think they would make all of those, but those give them real opportunity to make a trade. Maybe you package a first-round pick, you know, pick 31 and Chris Duarte for something, just for example. Um, so I think you could be aggressive in that way, but also they want to they be a threat, a contender for a half-dozen years. And so, especially in this market, there's no overnight fix or one summer solves all. I always laugh at free agency. Uh, whether it's an NBA or NFL, you see one team come out and make a big splash, and then they, you know, finish last in their division or whatever. You can win the off season there, but what it comes down to is adding a wing more than anything. That's a, a position they have lacked for many years, significantly, really, going back to Paul George, because every night and you just talked about this. Every night, a wing goes off against the Pacers. It's Zach Levine up in Chicago uh, last night. Jabari Smith Jr., who is a rookie drops 30 points in 47 minutes. So that that's a gigantic area of concern. The good news for them is more than not, they'll be able to address that in part in the draft because that's where it seems to be uh, a lot of depth in this draft is out on the wing. We've heard Wembanyama a lot, and uh, his name, obviously, as being the uh, the ultimate trophy for this upcoming draft. Uh, I know there's been some questions about how he's played this year against physical defenders, etc. Uh, but what I wonder is, what's the next level? How close are guys behind him? Is it him and no one else? Is there, are there other guys? Because clearly I don't think the Pacers are going to get that top pick. And I don't think they've got the resources that anybody would even consider giving up a top pick. So ultimately, um, when you look at it, Scott, how close... Is this how strong is this draft at the top once you get beyond Wembanyama? Yeah, so a couple things here. First of all, I, I completely agree. Whoever lands the number one pick, you are not trading out of that. I'd be stunned. That's like tra- having the chance to draft LeBron and being like, 
yeah, we'd rather have four future firsts. Yeah. Well, you don't know what those future firsts might become. You know what you can go get. And by all accounts, everyone in the league believes he is a, a franchise league altering level player that does things that we haven't seen before necessarily. So you expect him to go one. He's kind of in a tier by himself. Then I think it's Scoot Henderson. Most believe that's really that top tier. Uh, and then there's a, a drop off to about the next four players. Or so the Thompson Twins, probably part of that group uh, for one, playing an overtime elite. So they're t- two key guys to keep an eye on. Um, and then as a whole, the Pacers, I can tell you, are very bullish on this draft, um, even from where they are with two picks in the 20s, talking about the pick they own from Cleveland and in Boston, which will you know be towards the very end of that first round. They really like that. They've had two individuals on staff in the scouting department that have been working on this draft for over two years. So they really like the possibilities of adding at least a couple of guys in this draft compared to next year, Brett, which does right now um, by those evaluators, same thinking, it is not good. It is not one where you care to have a high pick or you want to stock up picks. It's one you wouldn't even mind maybe even trading your first round pick uh, because it just does not seem to be adding up to a very good class. So interesting that you could have uh, such variation with year to year. And that's why I'm asking sure. because so much focus has been put on that number one slot. But a, uh, you know, a number eight pick one year could be the equivalent of a number 16 pick the following year. You never know what the, how deep the talent goes. But it does sound like the Pacers are pretty confident there's going to be a lot of talent available pretty deep into this draft. Scott, always appreciate you jumping on. Of course, the Pacers and the Detroit Pistons this weekend. They've got two and uh, we'll follow your coverage at the Fieldhouse Files. Always appreciate you taking time to jump on with us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Seven of their next eight on the road. So wow. It's going to be a trying time. Road Warriors. Appreciate it, Scott. That is Scott Agnes joining us on our guest line, talking Pacers basketball. Of course, you could always follow him at the Fieldhouse Files online. Get a subscription. Uh, there's no one right now in Indy covering the Pacers quite like Scott Agnes does. And uh, it's well worth the investment into the subscription, especially if you're an NBA fan or a Pacers fan, to check out the Fieldhouse Files. We'll take a break. We're going to come back. We've got Greg Regstraw joining us. This is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Just a ho-hum Friday in the heart of the Big Ten Tournament. Nothing happening in the world of sports. And then a Schefter bomb hits Twitter. It's breaking news. Adam Schefter tweeting that the Chicago Bears have traded the number one pick to Carolina, that they are making the deal. It will include a uh, first-round pick at number nine from Carolina to Chicago. It will also include the Panthers' number 61 pick in this year's draft, a first-round pick next year, and a second-round pick in 2025 also. They're throwing into the package wide receiver DJ Moore. So it's picks and a player. Wow. And, of course, we heard the rumors that maybe Pittman could be included in a deal if the Pacer, or if the Colts wanted to go up and get that number one pick. Well, this gives the Colts a rather interesting predicament now. I don't know that they will be able to trade up from the number four spot. Houston holds number two, and it may leave the Colts right now with the number three quarterback taken in this year's draft. Let's get to the bottom of it, because joining us right now on our guest line to get an instant reaction 
It is the voice of the IHSAA Champions Network, the voice of ISC Sports Network, of course, the Colts postgame radio host. You name it, he does it. It's Greg Rakestraw. Rake, give us your take on this breaking news from Schefter. I am surprised the Bears moved the pick this early. Now, it was quite the haul spread out over three drafts. You basically just guaranteed that for that number one pick, you get four players in the top 65 of three different drafts. You also get a receiver. And again, the Bears need help at every position seemingly other than quarterback. So I, I understand why they take that deal now, but I'm still surprised that we are six weeks out from the draft and you would move that pick now. I'm also somewhat surprised they were willing to move down to nine because I thought if you had maybe moved down to two, convinced Houston mm-hmm. that you could have that, that they needed to move up to get their guy, you could have spun that pick to the Colts at four and still, in theory, gotten the best non-quarterback in the draft. So moving down to nine, I can't imagine the Bears are going to move down any more at this point. So it's a good haul. I'm still surprised they make that move now, six weeks out in the draft. So now let me spin that. That's the Bears' perspective. Mm -hmm. Now let me give you the Colts' perspective. The Colts have, again, in theory, the number three quarterback in the pecking order. I'm not so sure that all of a sudden they don't have the number four pick because you got to think Arizona if we're looking to move down to. Again, I'm not sure about what Tyler Murray's future really is going to be, but he's your quarterback in Arizona next year. You're not drafting quarterback. Cardinals have a lot of other needs. That team got old as they were you know, trying to be a contender. Didn't really work out for them over the last couple of years. So, again, I think now Arizona will look to move out of the number three spot. So if I'm Chris Ballard, I'm getting on the phone to the new regime in Arizona and seeing about potentially what sort of fee it would take literally to flip to three and four to make sure that, you know, you get the quarterback that you want at the number three position because I could easily see a scenario where Arizona moves two and now truly the fourth pick is actually the fourth pick at the quarterback position. Is it enough that the Colts now should consider trading down? If they're going to end up with no better than the third best quarterback in this draft, what should the Colts maybe look at options for trading down? I don't think so because even if you don't, even if you, if there's somebody gets ahead of you and you don't move and you're sitting there at four, if you want to trade down, then I'm in favor of the Quentin Nelson trade down. In other words, move down a couple of spots, move down three or four spots, not more significantly than that. This is still a team that could use that for a premier pass rusher. This is a team that could use that for more competition along the offensive line or could use it for uh, another weapon at wide receiver, which this team clearly has been lacking in. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to move down, I'm fine moving down a couple of spots. I don't want to see him move down, again, say as far down as nine. because I think you have less control over the type of player you get at that position versus, say, being at four, five, six in that neighborhood, et cetera. I'm a hundred percent with you on the Bears' perspective here. Being, I'm quite honestly shocked that the Bears made this move down to nine because I thought they were going to double dip. I thought they were going to work yeah. a deal with Houston, get the picks there, then trade the two pick for a 
for the fourth pick still end up in the top four of this draft where they probably would get the guy they want anyway and have a load of picks thrown at them to do it. So I'm I'm pretty surprised. Let's ask the obvious, though, Greg. Is this a little bit of Frank Reich putting a little stab into the Indianapolis Colts? Um, I don't think so. I think what this is is David Tepper doing what he has to to get his guy. Remember, Frank Reich's the coach. He's not the general manager. And clearly, the Panthers are a team that they have wanted to make a splash. You know, this has been a franchise that has largely been forgettable ever since they made the Super Bowl, what, 15 or 16, whatever that was. I guess it was 15 because it was Peyton Manning's last game after the 2015 season. Panthers, frankly, have not done much since that time. They needed to make a splash. So does Frank Reich have a bit of a wry smile because he got in front of the Colts? Yeah, possibly. But believe me, this was about David Tepper ensuring that that team got their future franchise quarterback because they've been searching for it ever since Cam Newton left town. This also means that Carolina probably has their sights set on one guy. I've heard the name Anthony Richardson thrown around when you talk about the Carolina Panthers. Do you think that is the guy they just made this move for? I honestly don't know. That will play out over the course of the next six weeks. I think you can make a case for Richardson. You can make a case for Stroud. You can make a case for Bryce Young. I think it could be any of those guys at this point. I'm not sure you had to go from 9-1 to one to get Richardson. Mm-hmm. Time will tell on that move. Greg Regstraw joining us on our guest line as we're talking about the news that just came down. Uh, breaking news from Adam Schefter from ESPN that uh, the Bears are trading the number one pick. They're picking it, uh, uh, trading with Carolina, and the Bears in return get the Panthers' number nine pick, number 61 pick, a first rounder in 2024, a second rounder in 2025, and wide receiver D.J. Moore. Um, I'm kind of fascinated by this. Like I said, this was not what I expected. I thought it was going to be basically a two-horse race for a while, and if there was going to be news, it was going to be Houston or maybe the Colts. I did not expect a third team to jump up and close a deal with the Bears. So, uh, breaking news for this Friday. And, uh, Rekha, we got to talk a little bit about high school basketball. We head into the regionals coming up tomorrow. Where are you going to be, by the way? You, you let me know on Twitter. You're not going to be where I'm at at Logansport. <laughs> have you got, have you got some high school hoops? What is your assignment tomorrow? So we as ISC have two different sites because of the fact there are three different tip times in the regionals at one, four, and seven. Thankfully, our television partners at MyNDTV have said, let's do a triple header, shall we? And we're all about it. So our 7 o'clock crew, you will see Rob Brown, the former voice of the Fort Wayne Fury, mm-hmm. and Pete Smith. They'll be at you at the, with the, at the Berry Bowl. They're not doing game one, just doing game number two, just the Kokomo-Fort Wayne Northside game. So IHSATV.org, if you want to see the pictures, of course, Brett will do a great job of you know <laughs> painting the, the word pictures of both four and seven for each of those two games at Logansport on this very station. I will be at Southport Fieldhouse at one and four. I get New Powell and Brownsburg, who are both 20-win teams, against Cathedral, the defending state champs, and 29-0 Ben Davis. I get four of the top ten teams in the state tomorrow. It should be a heck of a day at Southport Fieldhouse. Absolutely should be. And, of course, we're getting uh, a look at a look, our first look at Kokomo with uh, Badunga. And, and 
What do you know about this guy and his development from last year? He was very raw a year ago, but it seems like he's he's uh, becoming more and more of a true basketball player, although still the majority of his field goals are dunks. Correct. So first of all, the first development is it's Badunga, and okay. that's not to chastise you. I've said Basically, it all week. Like, like so many uh, people who get a name mispronounced, they just don't correct everybody. So he finally learned in the offseason it's Flory Badunga. He speaks four languages. French is his primary language growing up in the Congo. He is, frankly, a, 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 a power five-level defender and rebounder right now. He's a tremendous shot blocker. He's a tremendous athlete. He's got a, a, a great vertical leap. You combine that with 6'10". What he doesn't have yet is power five-level post moves. He's got a couple of moves. Doesn't have a jump shot. It's part of the reason why so many of his mm -hmm. baskets are of the dunk variety, of the putback variety. Frankly, those are things you can teach and you can work with. He is probably one of the top five recruits in his class in the nation. And the other thing that you will see will be half of Kokomo. I think the Berry Bowl will be absolutely sold out for that 7 o'clock game and absolutely full because that community, they have showed up like this is the glory days of the North Central Conference in the 70s and 80s. They pack every building they go to, and that's part of the reason why we are putting that game on television in the Indianapolis market because there will be so many people that want to see him and really almost get kind of a first statewide glance at what that kid's all about. I know uh, probably a little premature to talk Mr. Basketball, but I have to ask about Marcus Burton up at Penn because it seems like he right now seems to be an odds-on favorite. I don't know if uh, if you would agree with me because Central Indiana seems to dominate this award, but where do you see it going this year? If there's a leader as of this moment, where is he? Tim, I mean, he's led the state in scoring by almost three points a game. He's putting up over 30 points a game. Xavier Booker was great the last couple of games, uh, and and kind of reminiscent to what Xavier did last year, kind of turned it on for the postseason. We didn't see that Xavier Booker the entirety of the regular season. I think it's Marcus Burton. I, I think he has done enough. He's going to claim the award. Um, so, I, again, I, I think this is the year it goes outside of central Indiana. Again, Booker is going to have the higher recruiting acclaim, being the McDonald's All-American. But I firmly believe that Marcus Burton is Mr. Basketball. Rake, always uh, a pleasure talking to you. Enjoy your day at Southport. Sorry we'll miss you at the Berry Bowl, but uh, we'll talk to you again soon. That's more food in the hospitality <laughs> room for you that way. It all works out in the end. I might have to sit at the Greg Rakestraw table in the, uh, the media center. Appreciate it, Greg. You got it, bud. That is Greg Rakestraw joining us on the guest line. And uh, I, he was there last year, ran into him. Um, in the hospitality room? Uh, no, no, I did not <laughs> run into him in the hospitality room. I ran into him on press row. He was sitting behind me, but he did the games with Pete Smith there last year. And so I saw him tweet something showing the setup because they were in today setting up their cameras and everything for tomorrow's regional. Yeah. And uh, I thought, hey, great, Rake's going to be there. I didn't realize they were going to actually be covering two sites. And uh, by the way... Also, congratulations to Greg Rakestraw because he helped to close a deal with the Indianapolis Indians, and they will now have all 75 of their home games produced and covered by the ISC Sports Network, which I think is a win for both sides, but uh, something that they've been working on for a couple of years. We've got to take a break. 
And coming up, we've got, I don't know if we call it hour number two, but we'll start the 6 o'clock hour. We're taking the show up till 6.15 because then we turn it back over to Compass Media Network's coverage of the Big Ten Tournament. Hey, don't forget Christopher James menswear. You want to look nice? You want to look your best? Yeah, you want to get to Christopher James menswear. They're coming to Plaza. They're on West Jefferson, just about a block west of Getz Road. And uh, the reason you go to Christopher James menswear is because, first of all, you don't get the personalized service at other places like department stores or discount centers or anywhere else uh, that you get at Christopher James menswear. You go in, you kind of tell them what you have in your mind, what type of an occasion you might have coming up. They'll give you options. Maybe it's a suit. Maybe it's something that you can wear nice casual. Uh, but they'll give you some outfits and some ideas, and they'll find things that are flattering for your shape. So maybe you're an athletic cut. Maybe you're a dad bod. It doesn't matter. Everybody in between. They'll have fashions, and they'll custom fit them to your shape and make you look tremendous. It, it's a special feeling when you put on the clothes that you've got at Christopher James Menswear. Go see my friends. See what it's all about. If you haven't been there before, don't be intimidated. I was, but I went in and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And that's why I recommend Christopher James menswear to you to get that special outfit put in your closet that you can pull out for those special occasions. Christopher James menswear, Covington Plaza on West Jefferson, about a block west of Getz. It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the, the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brett Ruff. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are Time to head into a sports weekend, and it's bonus time with the sports rush. You do not have to adjust your clock. You do not have to wonder, what the heck? Why is he still on? I wonder that anyways. <laughs> every day, every day when the show starts, we get that same reaction. It is actually a special edition of the Sports Rush coming to you between sessions of the Big Ten Tournament. That means we turn it back over to Compass Media Networks coming up at about 6.15, so about 10 more minutes of the show. And then it is Big Ten Tournament Basketball tonight. We've got the Penn State Nittany Lions. Hey, we picked them. Here they are. We both picked them to pull the upset last night. And we both, Lundy. Yeah, I was going to say, we both know why uh, I picked him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Seth Lundy, what a great last name. He had a good start, too. Got uh, Penn State an early lead, and they go on to win. So they play Northwestern tonight in game number one. Game number two, we've got the Maryland Terrapins and the Indiana Hoosiers. Purdue victorious earlier today. They get the win 70 to 65 over Rutgers, but again, the Purdue uh, ailments were exposed, and that is number one, three point shooting. It's been a little inconsistent. They did get some shots to go, but it came from an unlikely source. David Jenkins Jr. ended up playing extended minutes today, 
and he delivered four for four overall from the field, three for three from distance. But your lawyer, Braden Smith, neither one connected from distance. Brandon Newman got the start. He did not have a good game. But uh, David Jenkins kind of bailed out the the uh, Boilermakers after a rough start. Now, it was no surprise to me that it got off to a bad start because this this always happens with the teams that have the long buys. They haven't played yet. They, they haven't experienced that tournament atmosphere and that tournament pressure. And so the other team, I mean, they're coming in with all kinds of confidence. They just won a game less than 24 hours ago, so they're feeling good about themselves. They've already shaken off the rust. They know exactly what it's like shooting in that uh, arena. Uh, but it always is the team that has the bye that generally will get off to a bit of a sluggish start. And the key is, will fatigue play a factor late? Because that's what you're hoping, is that the team that has to play two games within 24 hours, that they'll be tired near the end. So usually the team that is the higher seed, tough start, good finish. And it kind of played out for Purdue. They got back to uh, a one-point lead by halftime, and then they uh, opened up what was a nine-point lead late. But again, against full-court pressure, Purdue struggled with it and had to hold on 70-65 to to defeat the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Now, we've had some text questions come in, one of them asking about the stream of the Big Ten tournament games. The games that we are broadcasting on Compass Media Networks, okay, that is an affiliate agreement where we cannot stream what you will hear on the radio. And the reason is Compass has affiliate agreements with all different markets. And so they don't want one of those markets, like a station here in Fort Wayne, to stream the games because then it defeats the purpose of being an affiliate in Springfield, Illinois. And so we are blacked out from streaming the games as part of our affiliate agreement to carry the games uh, here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. So if you go to the stream, you will get Fox Sports Radio. So if you want to listen to Fox Sports Radio instead, you can still do that tonight. But if you listen to the radio, you'll get coverage of the Big Ten Tournament and we'll have every single game. Plus, coming up this weekend, we've got high school basketball uh, from Logansport, from the Berry Bowl, the Northside Legends versus Kokomo. That will be a 7 o'clock tip. We'll be on the air roughly 10 minutes ahead of 7 o'clock with the pregame show. I'll have the call from Logansport in the Class 4A Regional, also in action. Uh, Bishop Dwanger heads to Newcastle, where they will take on Twin Lakes. Never bet against Matt Kostoff in March. That's a uh, That's something that I'm going to stick with. Also, Blackhawk got the sectional championship in 2A, and they will take on Tipton, an 18-6 and six squad. Now, to me, this is about the strength of schedule during the regular season. Blackhawk will play anyone, anywhere, and 14 of their games this year were against 3A and 4A schools, while Tipton only played nine games against 3A and 4A schools, and actually only one of those nine was even against a 4A. They had a game against Kokomo, but uh, but they had eight games against 3A, while Blackhawk played 14 games total against 3A and 4A competition. So good luck to our area teams in regional tomorrow, and uh, hopefully you tune in tomorrow night for the Northside Legends and the Kokomo Wildcats with Badunga. You know, Greg, Greg, uh, and I feel stupid because... 
What have I said all week long? It's pronounced Badunga. It's Badunga. It's Badunga. And I've used, I've said his name a hundred times this week, and it always was Badunga. I get Greg on the line. I say Badunga. He immediately corrects me. It's Badunga. So I will not make that mistake again. Mr. Rakestraw, I apologize to you personally. I apologize to Flory Badunga. <sighs> I will get it right. We do like to get things right. We try occasionally. Uh, big news, though, coming out from Adam Schefter. Breaking news that came out within the last hour. Man. Uh, did not expect this to drop, but the Chicago Bears have traded the number one pick. It is now off the market, so to speak. And who gets it? The Carolina Panthers. I still wonder how much pleasure Frank Reich takes in this. And I also think that this says Carolina has fallen in love with one particular quarterback. I don't, I don't know if they've fallen in love with one, but the thing is if they have fallen in love with one or if they do fall in love with one, now they can get him. They end up giving up a number nine pick, a number 61 pick, both of those from this year's draft, next year's first rounder, also in 2025, a second rounder, and they throw in wide receiver DJ Moore, all going to the Bears in return for that number one pick. Bears drop down to number nine, but now the Colts at number four. Are they going to get the third best quarterback? Are they going to get the fourth best quarterback? And if you can't get better than the fourth best quarterback, perhaps it's better to slide down, build other areas of your roster, and look forward to maybe, I don't want to say tanking, but maybe you uh, take your shot at Caleb Williams coming up in next year's draft, who I think would be the number one pick among this group of quarterbacks if he were eligible and in this year's draft. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't feel good that you're turning a franchise over to the fourth best guy in the one year that you had a pick at a quarterback. I I want... And either, therefore would be the fifth best in the next two years if you count Caleb Williams. If you Williams. count Caleb yeah. Williams coming out. Um, I, I, I just... I, the Colts are kind of locked in now because they're not going to be able to trade with Houston. The best they can do then is move up one spot to number three. Now, what they would do there, if they can get a trade with Arizona, is they would keep teams like the Raiders, uh, whoever else might be looking at a quarterback, keep them out of that slot. So you would guarantee that you'd get no worse than the third best quarterback. I just saw a mock draft, too, that had Houston taking uh, Will Anderson, the edge rusher, and not taking a quarterback. So That's insane. Um, and I've heard rumors that Carolina really was enamored by uh, Richardson. The thing is, they can be enamored by whoever they want now because they can get them. Yeah, they can They can basically speak very publicly about who it is they like because they're not playing games. They hold the pick. No one can take it from them. But the Carolina Panthers, with the number one pick now in the draft, the Bears will have their first pick of the draft coming at number nine. They will pick again at number 61 as part of this deal. They'll get a first-round pick next year from Carolina and a second-round pick in 2025 and throw in a wide receiver, which the Bears desperately needed. They get D.J. Moore from the Panthers as part of the package. So there you go. Adam Schefter, the breaking news today. 
on the trade of a number one pick in the draft. 46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Coming up tonight, Indiana, Maryland. This game worries me. I think Indiana's a better team, but I think Maryland's just scrappy. They're hungry. Uh, they're the kind of team that can give Indiana some fits and force the Hoosiers into some turnovers. Uh, I, It would be an impressive win, in my mind, if Indiana's able to get a, a double-digit victory against Maryland. Now, I know Maryland has done most of their damage to teams at home where they were undefeated in Big Ten play. Still a game that scares me for the Hoosiers, but we'll see how it goes. That game, the second game tonight, and of course, Purdue advancing. They will take on Ohio State, who will be playing their fourth game in four days. That game tomorrow at noon, I believe, right? Noon tip tomorrow for the Boilermakers and Ohio State. One. It's noon central. Okay. One o'clock right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Well, that will do it for another week of the Sports Rush. Big thanks to our guest, Scott Agnes from the Fieldhouse Files. Also, thanks to Greg Rakestraw from a number of spots, including ISC Sports Network, Colts Post Game Radio host, and more. We got to get out of here. Big Ten Tournament next. This has been the Sports Rush, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.